what is an ally and where where does the ally stand? Allies can really be in three places. They can be in front of us. So if we need to be protected from some kind of oncoming onslaught, we might need our ally to be in front of us, that they may have a level of power that we don't necessarily have. There are other times when we need our ally to stand next to us, shoulder to shoulder, and just be there with us, whether that's a fight or a struggle or a celebration. We want them basically at our side. And there's other times that we want that ally behind us to have our back, where we don't want them to necessarily be speaking for us or on our behalf, but we want to know that they're there if and when we need them. That's Jamie Schoenard, Director, Joint Preservation and Replacement Program at Freudert Health. Jamie is talking about the various ways that allies support groups. Jamie is my guest for this first part of this episode of ERG Power Talk on how to secure and leverage allies. This is ERG Power Talk, and I'm your host, Joe Santana. The purpose of ERG Power Talk is to provide a forum for the exchange of great ideas and inspiration for ERG leaders, as well as others that are interested in supporting ERGs. No more waiting until the next conference and praying that you have the budget to travel to the conference in order to find great ideas and find stimulation toward action. Just subscribe and listen at your convenience. Before we begin, a quick note of thanks to our supporters and sponsors, Atrium Health, Fredert Health and Medical College of Wisconsin, and Mass Mutual. Now, let's go straight to the program. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, I'm happy to. All right. So, tell me, what's your current role and what BRG do you support? So my role in the organization is I'm the director of joint replacement programming for Freighter Health, which is an academic and community health system in the Milwaukee, Wisconsin area. Uh, So that's my day job. And then I am the chair of our LBGTQA business resource group. Got it. Thanks. So what's your definition of an ally? That's a great question. And frankly, that's one that our BRG has been looking into um, over the course of our last year. We're new as a BRG. Freighter Health only started having BRGs about 13 months ago. So this is a new journey for us. And the topic of allies and allyship has been one that has been really front and center for the LBGTQA BRG. So um, great question. Um, I would say my definition, our definition of ally um, is somebody that doesn't, uh, quote unquote, belong in the tent. They don't identify as somebody that would be defined by our BRG. So they they don't identify as being lesbian, bisexual, uh, gay, transgender, queer, um, but would be somebody outside of that realm. Yet they um, identify with the importance uh, of those folks that do have that identification and they um, they support us, um, whatever that may look like uh, from their perspective. What do you think drives them to support you? I think that's multifactorial. Um, being in healthcare, uh, I would say that one of the things that makes someone an, an ally is what makes people go into healthcare as a profession, and that is a sense of empathy and uh, a desire to support uh, their fellow um, 
man, woman, child, whomever. And so there, there's just this sense of uh, empathy and wanting to look outside of themselves and how they can personally support others who, for whatever reason, may need that level of support. So that would be a piece of it. Uh, I think also it um, has to do with personal connections. So um, if a person has uh, a parent, a child, a cousin, um, a neighbor, a friend, somebody that does identify in that group and they have a personal relationship with them, they, they more than likely have a greater sense of understanding of how being part of that group, uh, that smaller group of folks that identify as somehow being different than, more special than, uh, would be my preference, um, that they, they see that as something that they, they gravitate towards and uh, they, they, they have a connection. So even though they may not be in the tent, so to speak, they want to be sticking their hand through the door of that tent. They want to be with that person to the extent that they can and to support them. And so I think sometimes it's a personal connection. Sometimes it's just the sense of wanting to look outside of uh, oneself to uh, the greater um, uh, humankind and having some kind of a connection and support to those folks. Yeah, that's great. How important do you feel these allies are to the success of your group? They're really critical. I can tell you, you know, I, I referenced that we're relatively new on our BRG journey. Our LBGTQA business resource group has about 120 members for a 12,000 employee organization. So that's, um, I'm not even going to try to do the math on that, but that's like um, a tenth of a percent. Yep. Um, and of that 120, probably half of those folks are allies. And so what we know from the research is uh, LBGTQ folks probably only make up somewhere between 2 and 8% of the population. Uh, and therefore, that's probably relatively the same in our workforce. And so for our BRG to be more than a club uh, with members who just hang out and do stuff um, together, like have a drink after work or have a conversation between 7 and 8 in the morning, in order for us to do more and be more, we really need to open up our, our BRG to the folks that are the A, um, the ally in that LBGTQA. If we limit it to just the folks that are in the tent, I think we're doing not only ourselves a great disservice, but we're doing a disservice to our organization. And frankly, we're doing a, a disservice to our allies. Allies, uh, I, I don't think can really um, support us um, without us helping them understand what that support looks like. And I think that can be really a very challenging two-way street, that allies don't know how to be a good ally. And um, folks in the tent don't necessarily know how to reach out to their allies. That's part of the journey that we hope to be on in our next year, is to leverage our allies in a better way and to figure out what that looks like so that uh, we can leverage them um, to the best of our ability. Yeah, so tell me to date, how have you leveraged your allies? Do you have a, a story that you can share with us? Uh, several things are popping to mind on how we leverage our allies. Uh, one of those ways, I think, is by uh, not making them feel like second-class citizens. Um, for example, we have a, a subcommittee 
that is involved with um, outreach projects and volunteerism, and that is held uh, led by one of our allies. So that person does not identify as being LGBTQ, but is an ally. Uh, also, we have three officers, myself as chair, we have a co-chair who is a lesbian woman, and we have a secretary, and that woman is straight. And so uh, from a leadership perspective and a sharing of the responsibilities, one of the ways that we try to leverage our allies is, is by making them just as important to the process as everyone else uh, and having them really be uh, kind of there with us had an interesting analogy presented to us that I think um, you know speaks a little bit to how we leverage our allies, but also to our, I don't know if I want to call it a struggle, but I'll call it our desire to do better with our allies. And it, it, it speaks to, you know, what is an ally and where, where does the ally stand? And this analogy uh, said that allies can really be in three places. They can be in front of us, so if we need to be protected from some kind of oncoming onslaught, we might need our ally to be in front of us, um, that they may have a level of power that we don't necessarily have. There are other times when we need our ally to stand next to us, shoulder to shoulder, and just be there with us, whether that's a fight or a struggle or a celebration, we want them basically at our side. And there's other times that we want that ally behind us to have our back, where we don't want them to necessarily be speaking for us or on our behalf, but we want to know that they're there if and when we need them. I think that's a struggle that we have sometimes seen, not only in the LBGTQ tent, but in other realms, um, um, the Black African American tents would be an example, where I think we have had very well-meaning allies speak on behalf of those that they're an ally of. And I think that that can get an ally into a bit of hot water. And it can also get those folks that they're trying to support in an uncomfortable position where the ally is trying to, perhaps in my words, overstep what an ally's role really is. And so uh, I think that goes back to our desire to try to figure out what is an ally and when do we want allies to be in front or next to or behind us as they are part of the work that we do together with them. Yeah, I love the way you just explained that. That's so insightful in terms of where allies can play different roles in supporting a group. You know, as you were talking about other groups, my sense seems to be that of all the different BRGs and ERGs that are out there, probably the LGBTQ community is probably the one that makes the most use of allies. I don't know if that's your sense as well, but my question to you is, why is that? Why is it that I don't see as many BRGs and ERGs for other groups making as strong a use, as effective a use of allies as the LGBTQ community? That's a great question. I don't know that I fully understand what the answer to that is. I think part of it may have to do with how uh, BRGs that are not LBGTQ uh, choose to reach out to the, the broader employee base of their organizations and define what they are as a BRG or an ERG. And so what is the messaging and, and what is the offer, if you will, that's put out to the employee base? 
And if that offer of membership and participation and support looks like it's closed off and it's limited to folks that only meet certain qualifications based on the color of their skin or their religious preference or their um, sexual orientation or what have you, then it may not necessarily feel as welcoming uh, of a space for an ally to step into. But that might be part of it. I also think that the LBGTQ tent is one that maybe has always had a, while well, it's a groundswell kind of a thing, it's, it's had this sense of allyship really be tied to it. You know, if, if, if I'm um, a brown employee walking down the hallway of my organization, every other employee knows that I'm brown. And every other customer that sees me knows that I'm brown. Same thing as I'm, if I'm a woman or I'm a man or I'm tall or I'm short or I have a physical disability. Um, but I can personally tell you as a man who came out when he was 47 years old that um, folks in the LBGTQ tent can, in many ways, if they choose to, maintain a certain sense of anonymity around what makes us different than the rest of us. And so we can choose to hide a lot easier than lots of other quote-unquote minorities can. And I wonder if there's a piece of that hiding uh, that allies somehow have gravitated towards, that they somehow feel this connection of folks who have chosen to be in hiding, chosen to not be out um, because of fear of acceptance, fear of retaliation, or what have you. And so uh, maybe there is a greater uh, heart space, uh, possibly, for allies uh, of the LBGTQ population, where they feel a greater emotional willingness to step into that space. Mm, that's interesting. I'm not, really, I'm not sure about that, but that's been some of my personal experience with my own family and friends, uh, and certainly with coworkers as we've been on our journey here in the last year. You know, I, I've worked in this organization for nearly 30 years, and for, for 25 of those years, folks knew me as a, a straight white man who was married to a woman and had kids. And all of those things of who I am w remained true, except I was now a gay man. And so I, I think stepping through that, folks knew who I was and trusted me and liked me uh, and respected me before they knew that I was different. And that may have allowed them to bypass all of those filters that may have gotten in the way of their being in the same space with me, that they had eliminated judgment before that, mm -hmm. um, where in many ways, the things that make us different smack us in the face as soon as we come face to face with a person. They mm -hmm. look different than us. They talk different than us. They move different than us. And we use those filters to somehow make this characterization that that person is different than I am. And folks in the LBGTQ tent can sometimes avoid that set of filters. Uh, and so we're able to be judged on other merits, uh, preferably the ones that uh, make us all be good human beings before that filtering takes place. And somehow that may allow us to step past some of those things and have allies, therefore, want to and be more willing to connect with us. That's an interesting observation, yeah. You know, as I was listening to you, I was also thinking about what you said earlier about the materials that people put out there and who they invite to come into their tent, as it were. And 
In most organizations, I would say in probably almost all organizations, BRGs and ERGs tend to have an open door implicitly, meaning that I don't have to belong to a particular or identify as a member of a particular group in order to attend meetings or be part of those meetings. I could attend, let's say, for example, a woman's networking group. But one of the things that you brought up earlier is that In many cases, that may not be enough, just having that implicit statement out there that says our groups are open to anybody who wants to attend, whether or not they share that particular social identity aspect. What you're saying before, what you were saying is that if you want to attract allies, you literally have to roll out the carpet and very much explicitly say, you're welcome. The door is open to you as well. Can you say a little more about that? I totally agree with you. You know, the name of our BRG is LBGTQA. So right in the name, we identify that allies are indeed part of who we are. While I know that our uh, other BRGs, which include uh, Black African American Business Resource Group and a Military Veterans Business Resource Group, while I know that their mission statements and their door uh, is an open door policy, they don't call it out in their name necessarily. Not that that's good, bad, it's just different. Um, but I can tell you that, you know, whether it's posting on the intranet site that talks about our BRG or whether it's um, events that we have, we do explicitly say we want allies, we need allies, we can't do this without our allies. Uh, so we, we very intentionally make it very clear that while uh, that you're not just welcome, but that you're needed. And, and want it. We really want you to be in this space with us. And frankly, we can't be as successful without you. So, um, yeah, that's really been part of our messaging is that um, we're, the door is not just open, but we're we're reaching our hand out of the door and wanting to grab a hold and, and pull folks in. And again, I, I don't know that that's, I mean, that is intentional on our part. And I think that that is just kind of the way the LBGTQ community is. And so I can't take full credit of that because I lived in the closet and, and not really out as a member of that community until relatively recently in my life. So I can't take credit for all the hard work that has been made by my community um, that I have um, benefited from. Yet I think that that is a bit of the mantle uh, that I have picked up. Uh, that just kind of is the way it is. So folks in the tent, I think, have a, a greater desire to have our allies be with us. Uh, it's just kind of part of our DNA. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I've seen it over the years how the LGBTQ groups always had open door and invitation to allies to come in that felt a little more overt than that of other groups, even though there are other groups that I've talked to who would like to have more allies, but I think that they're not pursued as as overtly and as openly. And, and there's a benefit that these other groups can get as well. When you were talking about the statistics and you said somewhere between 2% and 8% of the population in any particular group is LGBTQ. The same can be said about a lot of other underrepresented communities. I mean, there are some that are quite large. They go into the double digits. But when it comes to representation within corporate America, the majority of them are still pretty small. But even if they were larger, 
having allies is a force multiplier. So I would say that just about any group that's out there can benefit from having the support of allies. So besides being explicit in our outreach, how do you advise that group leaders looking for allies go about attracting and pulling in those potential allies? Uh, I think one of those things is trying to personalize it uh, for the person. Uh, I know that whether it's an ad on TV or a menu item in a restaurant or whatever it is, if I somehow feel a personal connection, I'm much more likely to want to engage with that um, and step forward. So um, any way that you can personalize it uh, is very helpful. An example of that, I work in healthcare, and so it's very easy to personalize LBGTQ in healthcare because the reality is almost and this is something we can say to our allies, every single employee in this organization knows somebody who is LBGTQ. They may not know it, but they do. And if they don't know, why is it that they don't know? It may be because there's fear uh, of that knowledge getting out. And so that really tugs at people's heartstrings to know that they do know folks, whether they're aware of it or not, they know those folks. Also, you know, we're in the business of providing care to patients and families. And so, again, whether we know it or not, that person in the bed, uh, that family member who's worried in the waiting room may identify in this way. And so our, our staff have a real empathy for wanting to kind of see the world through the eyes of our patient. And this is one more way that they can do that to try to be uh, in better connection with who our patients are. Not unlike the nurse who works in an oncology unit, I suspect does a better job doing her job if her husband successfully fought prostate cancer and she went through that with him. But she has a level of empathy and understanding that she did not have before she personally was touched by cancer. And now she's able to share that with her patients. And so all of our employees, whether they're a registrar at a desk or a nurse or a lab technician has the ability to interface with our customers on a daily basis and to try to be with that person in the space they're in at that moment in time to the best of their ability. And so opening that door to the possibilities of seeing that person for who they really are is, is a great way that we've been able to ref, to uh, kind of pull allies in. Uh, this is good for you. It's good for your relationships with your own family, who you may or may not know are in this tent. It's good for you and your coworkers who may or may not be in this tent. It's good for you with your customers. It's good for you uh, at the grocery store. You know, so there's a lot of benefit that goes beyond the walls of a person's job. And this is one of the ways that we can not only help those employees who are LBGTQ, but help our allies to see that participation in this helps us as individuals. It helps make our organization stronger. It helps us to provide a better product for the communities that we work in and ultimately makes us better people. And uh, I truly think that regardless of what you might want to hear out there and uh, hear and see in social media, um, I, I truly believe that deep down people are good and they want to figure out a way of being a better person and living a life of mission and service. And to, so to the greater extent that they can do that through being part of a BRG and to be an ally of the folks that may, might be the focal point of that BRG, I think that there's a gravitation towards that. There's a desire to 
be a better person and to um, be part of the fabric of making the world a better place. That is a wonderful statement. I have nothing to follow that. I think we're going to end there. Jamie, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And I think we've had a couple of items that came up that will spark some people toward thinking about how they can better leverage their allies as well. So thanks again. My pleasure, Joe. Thanks for all you do. So let's stop and reflect for a moment on what Jamie covered with us. One, Allies can be a vital force multiplier for employee resource groups that are generally comprised of people that represent a very small fraction of their overall organization. Two, allies can provide support by standing in front of you, beside you, or behind you. And three, the best way to find and get allies is to openly and overtly roll out that welcome mat in everything you communicate, including your name, and your invitations. Coming up, our panel is going to build on these points with more advice on how to prepare to get more allies on your side. What can you do besides adding an A to your network's name to let allies know that you want them to join you? All this and more when we return, but first this. ERG Power Talk is made possible through the support and sponsorship of Atrium Health, Freudert, Health and Medical College of Wisconsin, and Mass Mutual. These are companies that are leading the advancement of ERG practices way beyond the confines of their organizations. Thank you. Now back to our podcast. And welcome back. Let's meet our panel. From Atrium Health in Charlotte, North Carolina, we have Calvin Hung, Administrative AVP. Calvin oversees operations for a 29-bed rehabilitation hospital, as well as inpatient therapy departments at Carolina Healthcare Systems, Pineville, and Carolina's Healthcare System Union. He is also a faculty member for their diversity certificate program. And from Structure Tone in New York City, we have Marissa Chambers, EEO slash Diversity Manager. Marissa has been in the diversity space in a number of companies before joining Structure Tone this year. These include Federal Home Loan Bank of New York, Panasonic, and PSEG. Thank you both for joining me today. So Calvin, my first question is for you. What is your definition of an ally? I think my definition of an ally, and it probably in its simplest form, is just someone or um, a group of folks that can help you achieve your goals and objectives. They're, they are um, those that may be removing barriers uh, that are in your way, uh, you know, frustrations that you may be experiencing. Uh, they may have similar objectives, maybe shared shared visions or goals. Um, you know, obviously there are folks that would support your work and, and really potentially be the force multiplier uh, in the work that you're doing. So they may be the ones that are speaking up when you're not a, around. They may be the ones that are representing you in different circles where you know your presence may not be either um, invited or you may not know that you know these discussions are happening outside of, of the particular group that you're with. Um, so I think that's probably um, what I would say. You know that an ally would be. Yeah, that's excellent. And Marissa, what about you? What would your definition be? I think Calvin hit a lot of the points. Um, one of the things that I would say um, from an ally perspective um, is that a lot of times them being other 
than what your group represents is a big key to it because when they are of the same group, whatever that is, um, it gets less attention. But if it's, it's a group for women and there are male allies, that sets a tone in the organization. And it says, yes, this is a group about women, for women, but anyone can join and anyone can help in the cause because they know that this is, you know, something that impacts our entire company. So I think it will help your cause. So, you know, as you were talking about this, I was thinking also of the fact that when you have allies and you, you really emphasize allies that are different from you, they can certainly, whether they're championing or they're side by side with you or they're, you know, behind you protecting your, your back, they can say and do things that someone who is the same as the other people in the group can't do without sounding self-serving. So if you're a woman and you're in a woman's group and you're promoting a lot of stuff for women in the organization and driving it, it's easy for other people to look at you and think maybe you're being self-serving because you're a woman and you're promoting you know, the progression of women. But if you're a man and you're doing that, well, then it's not self-serving. It clearly is something that you believe in. And I think that that's one of the powers of, of allies that you've zeroed in on. But go on and continue. I jumped in in the middle of what you were saying. Um, and also the levels. Let's be honest, right? Um, allies that are at your peer level are great. But having a champion ally that is someone in the C-suite makes a big difference. Because when they say, I have, I, I'm in a C-suite and I make time for this group because it's that important, then their employees will fall in line and say, well, if he or she can make time for this because it's that important. Maybe I need to get on, on the train there. Great points, Marissa. So Calvin, Marissa started to go into different types of allies. And I'd love to hear from you. What are some different types of allies that you see out there? There are probably hundreds of allies you could have. There, there's external, both external community allies and internal organizational allies. I think Marissa really touched on a key point, um, you know, to make sure that there are allies in different um, maybe levels of class. And so that, you know, the executive ally that she spoke to, I mean, you, to have a champion there that maybe can serve as a sponsor, um, maybe rather than, you know, we have discussion around sponsors and mentors, but really someone that would champion and sponsor uh, the work that the group is doing. And as you just mentioned, really uh, present maybe a unbiased uh, view or maybe a, a lesser biased view of, of maybe the work that's being done. Um, I think there, in our organization, we have other system resource groups. Those other system resource groups can serve as allies as well. A lot of the objectives and goals of those resource groups are aligned and the work that they can do can just uh, kind of multiply on itself. I think um, there are those that uh, just want to learn. So as we're presenting um, topics and hosting events on uh, areas that might impact our DNI work. Uh, you know, you have those employees and, uh, and other teammates that you know are raising their question, uh, raising their hands and asking questions, and you know maybe are kind of on the outskirts wanting to get involved and sort of trying to identify who those folks are that want to learn more and those folks that you know we want to draw in that show that you know they express an interest, they're asking questions, they're wanting to learn more, and that. Um, it's kind of our responsibility to kind of bring them in and bring them in as allies uh, to support our, our work and our cause. And then, the, and I think outside of, you know, our internal organization, 
really there's the community groups. Um, you know, there's partners that, uh, within the community that may have uh, similar uh, goals or visions that uh, we might want to engage with. And so there's, you know, a number of um, groups that we can reach out to uh, to really help not only build our voice, uh, but uh, bring some strength to our efforts. Yeah, that's, that's great. So uh, let, me, let me stay with you, Calvin, for a minute before I go over to Marissa with this question, which is, what are some of the results that you've gotten by leveraging allies? Is there a specific example that you can share of a result that you got by leveraging an ally? So one of the uh, resource groups that uh, I work closely with uh, is a men's diversity leadership network. Uh, so we focus on um, minority men that are in early to mid leadership levels and help them advance within our organization or find opportunities that they can advance in. And so uh, one area that we've, uh, one example that we've worked with is really looking at how to increase uh, the diversity of our, some of our senior leadership positions. Uh, what we have done, we've connected with um, both male and female leaders uh, to serve as sponsors uh, to our men of color. And they um, not only were, uh, not only did our group go through um, some kind of, some training that kind of uh, really addressed maybe the unwritten rules, uh, but the, we had our uh, sponsors also come in and um, talk about their experience, and then we paired with with those sponsors um, to really you know, be able to share our experiences and kind of open them up to um, maybe uh, experiences that they haven't they've not had, and also kind of expose us as um, as mid-level leaders and, and upper-level and entry-level leaders to uh, to experience the world that they're in, and it gave us an opportunity to build a reputation build not only build our reputation but highlight some skills and accomplishments that we had um, we've had several of our members uh, be presented with career opportunities and have advanced through that um, with the sponsorship they're you know they're making strong recommendations and opening uh, some of these folks that would not have the opportunities in the past now um, are being looked at as candidates for positions that they uh, maybe weren't looked at uh, before um, our group also, and, and I'm kind of giving you a quick second example, our, our group also focuses um, on just the health of our community. So we are a healthcare system. Our mission is to, group, to improve health, elevate hope, advance healing for all. Uh, so our work resource group focuses on that. And, and, and one example is um, that we focused on basically providing a, a health fair um, to our community focused on, um, on the health of males and particularly minority males in the community. So we uh, focused a lot on the uh, African-American and Latino populations and trying to really reach out to those community members. So we had to partner not only with um, community, community resources such as uh, you know, the Latino uh, media outlets that we had. Um, uh, we partnered with a church that was predominantly African-American where we hosted the fair. Uh, we uh, partnered with our uh, Latino system resource group that helped to build, to utilize their network to reach out and serve as interpreters at the, uh, at the event. We were uh, essentially able to um, connect with a number of members of the community, community and align them with uh, primary care providers, uh, identify 
community members that go into smoking cessation programs, start to begin and treat uh, prevention of diabetes and heart disease, and so you know, being able to reach out to all those community partners to get into the community, identify those folks that maybe our healthcare system was missing, um, was an opportunity that we saw as a, a minority um, men's leadership group that we had to you know, draw on those allies to be able to achieve. That's great stuff, Calvin. Marissa, what about you? I have an example that, um, that I think is important. Some of the times when um, these groups start, a lot of times they do start with more junior level employees. And one thing that um, a group that, that I you know, oversaw was it, um, the fact that the executive champion helped them with a lot of the business acumen pieces that they may not have been familiar with. Something as simple as writing a budget um, a budget for an ERG, right, versus OLBIG, but um, a, a writing a budget, managing that budget, um, and all of the political protocol that goes into trying to get your group recognized at the high level, right? And so without having that executive champion, they wouldn't have that information. And so they may come off um, as not as polished, or not as ready, really, um, for leadership. And, and so I always tell people that when you're in these kinds of groups, you may not have an opportunity for leadership in your day job, but this is your chance to grab the reins of leadership and show, I can lead a group. And so if you've never done that before, you don't know what you don't know. And so having somebody who's been in the business 25, 30 years and has been in the same business for that time can really help you navigate all the pitfalls um, and not make some of the mistakes that other people have made in that company in terms of the politics of getting what you want and also making sure that you're showing your ROI. That's excellent, Marissa. Thank you for that. You know, as you were talking about the executive sponsor in this conversation about allies, a couple of listeners might think we were getting off topic. But while we use a lot of these terms, like sponsors, allies, intersectional, which is another topic that I'm going to talk about, intersectional connections, and they overlap each other, right? They overlap because these people, let's say your executive sponsor is certainly one of your allies. Here's my other question, and Marissa, I'm going to stay with you this time. What are some of the ways that you've seen and that you've used that are successful for getting allies? Now, in my conversation before with Jamie, one of the things that he pointed out was that in the LGBTQ community, it's usually a pretty clear call to allies, that the doors are open, that we're reaching out of the tent, that we want you to come in. And it's usually positioned right there in the name, LGBTQA or LGBTQ+. Uh, a lot of other groups don't have that. It's you know the Women's Network or the Hispanic Latino Network. So what are some other ways these other groups can open the tent up and bring in allies? I do think that's important because sometimes when people hear the titles of the group, they feel that they may not be wanted there. Um, and so it's important that you have to actively recruit. So when you have events, you have to send out an actual invitation to people that you want to come so that they know that their presence is wanted, that it's appreciated. Um, no one wants to go somewhere and feel like, 
you know, they're the third wheel, so to speak. Um, so I always suggest that you absolutely target the people that you want there, send them an invitation, encourage them. Maybe if you have five or 10 minutes, stop by their office and explain to them what your group really is about and why you're asking them to attend. Um, they don't want to feel like they're the token either. So you want to explain to them how their presence can help you and maybe you can help them. Excellent. And Calvin, what about you? What have you seen work in addition to just appending, you know, the word ally to your name? What are some of the things that you've seen work as a way of inviting allies into the tent? I want to go back just a second and, and just touch on something that Marissa uh, mentioned. And, it's, and it, she said that, you know, as when you contact someone that you're, you make sure that you know, um, why you're contacting them, why, why they you know you're contacting them and what your purpose is and how you can help them. I think that is a pretty key point, actually, before you even start to seek allies, is to make sure that the group itself knows the purpose and understands you know, its mission and vision and, and what it's trying to accomplish because you want everyone in that um, resource group to be swimming in the same direction because otherwise, as you're reaching out to seek allies, it's just adding mass confusion so what is what is it that we're trying to accomplish here? And so there's definitely um, a lot of work I think needs to be done on the front end and defining that clarity of what is your your group about and what you're trying to achieve. So even if you are an LGBTQ a, um, a resource group, it may identify the folks that you're you know seeking to help, but what are you actually trying to accomplish as an LGBTQA group? So those are, are definitely. Uh, that's definitely something I wanted to emphasize. I would also say that, uh, you know, just the ability of your resource group to network and start to be um, comfortable being uncomfortable because networking is not an easy thing as, as we all know and starting a conversation particularly around a topic that folks may kind of find a little bit more uncomfortable and a little more taboo to discuss sometimes, you know, to, just to be able to get um, those folks in the system, in the resource group that are expanding that network to be able to have those conversations and be comfortable with those conversations as they reach out um, to potentially others. Uh, one thing that we've also done as a system that I would mention is our diversity and inclusion um, division holds a senior leader speaker series. So senior leaders are actually just speaking about their experiences. It's putting them in a place of vulnerability and they, and as we have um, participants in these resource groups listening to these senior leaders speak. The leaders themselves don't know, you know, that they're necessarily being asked to be an ally to a group, but we're trying to identify some similarities between those resource groups with these senior leaders. So we start to see connection points. You know, it's kind of, uh, is it Maya Angelou that, that had that poem about um, being more alike than not alike. And so trying to find out, you know, what is it that we have a like with these senior leaders that will start to open up that conversation and which they could serve as an ally. Um, so being able to put themselves out and be vulnerable, I think, is a great opportunity for the resource groups to latch onto. That's a great point. You know, you've touched on one of my pet topics, which is the idea that when people get to know each other better, they find affinity. A lot of times we assume 
that we won't have affinity with someone who's of a different gender or of a different ethnicity or a, a different group because we look different from each other. But when we get to know them and we get to spend time with them, we find that we do have that affinity. Hey, Marissa, has that been your experience that when you bring in prospective allies to meet with a group, they tend to find that they have commonalities that join them together? Absolutely. Is being a DNI practitioner, I also do a lot of training or, you know, I, I have in, in my past. And that was one of the exercises we would do even just in DNI training, um, exercises that show how much more. And I actually um, have one. Uh, it's a game and um, it's called more like than not. And so I use that same mentality when I look at the groups, the resource groups, right? Once you've had a conversation with someone and you've sat down and you've broken bread with them and you found out there's really more that connects you than that separates you, it's really hard to walk away from that with that same angst you may have, may have had going into the situation because you, you feel a little silly because you're like, wait a minute, that, that person is really just like me in so many ways. And at the end of the day, I, I really like him or her, <laughs> right? So once you've met someone and you've, yeah. you've created some kind of bond and you actually like them, um, then it's not a heavy lift for you to do everything that you can do to help them and their cause. It, it becomes your cause because now this person is your friend. And so one thing that we do is our friends and our family, we go out of our way um, all the time for them. And it's, it's not even a thought. And so once you've actually had conversations with these people and now you consider them to be at least, um, you know, friendly and sometimes real friendships develop, it's so much easier for you to pick up a phone and, and make a phone call that can help that group that they don't have access to, but you can because this person, you don't look at them as the blah, blah group. You look at them as these are my friends. Yeah, that's a great point. Hey, Marissa, can you tell me more about that tool? I think some of our listeners might find that interesting. It might be useful in terms of bringing people together who are prospective allies of the group and then using that kind of game to identify the connections between them. I think you called it more alike than not. Correct. And what the game is focused on is very common phrases or parables or whatever that come from different cultures around the world. And so what I'll do is I'll read it and then you have to figure out what is something that American culture says it's very similar to that. And then through that, people are like, wow, you know, these, these, these cultures that are so disparate, you know, from each other, at the end of the day, the thoughts are the same. So I'll give you an example. There's one from Scotland that says, let your tongue have more holidays than your head. So what would we say in America? Think before you speak, right? It means the same exact thing. Or um, this one I love from Iran, trust in God, but tie your camel. <laughs> okay? That one means God helps those who help themselves. Right. Say that in America. And so it's funny because some of them are difficult, but when you break them down, you're like, wow, that 
that that means exactly the same thing. And so we have I have a lot of fun with that game. Um, sometimes I switch out. I usually try to keep it to ten or more because after that it gets a little old and stale. But you 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 know you do that in a group of ten or so people. You have a lot of fun. You learn a lot about other cultures from from those phrases. But you also learn how similar they are to American culture. Well, I love that. It sounds like a great small group exercise. Is there somewhere where our listeners can go to pick that up, or is that something you just kind of invented? I created it. I, I was reading a book that was about phrases from around the world. So I created my own, but I can share it with you. Great. Thanks, Marissa. I'll include it in the episode blog. So Calvin, continuing our discussion, I'm coming back to you now. As I mentioned in the beginning, a lot of times we see that groups like the LGBTQ plus groups or A groups, as well as most recently, I've seen a couple of veterans groups go out there and do some kind of outreach for allies. But a lot of, you know, a lot of other groups don't. And so to me, you know, what I call the $1 million question is, why not? You know, why not? Take advantage of that force multiplier. So what are your thoughts about what might be preventing people from going out and getting allies? And the flip side of that, what would you recommend to get around those obstacles that prevent people from going out and getting allies? Probably what might prevent them, I think at a very basic human level, it's easier to stay where you're most comfortable. So these, these, um, resource groups are being put together where we're bringing together uh, employees that felt isolated, now all of a sudden find a community that they feel connected with, and then if you've kind of heard us talk about it, now you're reaching out to people that you may initially think you don't have that many similarities with again. So it's it's like you just found your community and now you're saying, okay, go break up and find other folks that uh, may not be the same with you. So it's just people are maybe just not as comfortable really trying to connect with those that they may perceive have differences than them. And I, and I think that really is, is a big barrier for it. I think the areas where those BRGs really need to focus on and maybe what my personal recommendation was, one, and we talked about this before, is really defining uh, what the BRG is about, making sure that everybody has a clarity of, uh, the mission and vision and, and the goals so that they all know what their purpose is. Um, I think really there's you know, several steps that they need to do once they've done that is really assess uh, their network and their reach. Where are the gaps that they have? Maybe what are the biggest barriers that they're encountering? Who who are what is um, those things that are maybe frustrations or barriers to them that come up in conversation as they've come together and talk about, you know, what they want to accomplish. Maybe that's where you want to start. Those are the groups that you want to connect with initially to help break down those barriers. You know, take some time to identify other organizational or community groups that have those shared goals and identify how are you going to connect those other resources. I think, you know, we've talked about it throughout this, but diversifying your resource group, you know, target and recruit teammates from um, different departments, backgrounds, locations, you know, look at a, a really focus on the inclusion of how do you accept more members rather than how do I screen out those that, uh, you know, maybe shouldn't be participating. So mm-hmm. it's really trying to open up that perspective and identifying you know, who, who should be uh, those that you want to reach out to, I think is really important. And, broadening that out, just like Marissa has said in, in many of her responses, but connecting with those that are um, seemingly different, but 
may have ultimately a lot more similarities than uh, you anticipate. Yeah. And Marissa, same question for you. I think Calvin hit it right on the head. Um, You may have had bad experiences with the other, whatever that is. Um, And so when you you do feel marginalized and then you do you know kind of i found my people right in this group right i found i found my tribe right whatever that's about i don't care if it's a you know because we in in places that i've worked we've had uh groups support groups for um military spouses or um support groups for parents of children with disabilities you know so it doesn't have to be about race or gender or whatever but whatever it is you found your tribe right this is my people and these are the people that have my back and i have theirs and we've formulated a little family unit here and now you're asking me to go to the people that made me feel uncomfortable in the first place and ask them to be an ally right it's awkward um, and if I've had bad experiences with people, um, if let's say I'm in an LGBTQA group and I've had bad experience with people um, in, in our organization or even in external groups that um, left a, a sour taste, I'm, I'm not going to initially be like, yeah, let me try that again. Let me, you know, put myself in the fire again. Um, and so... It, it, that would be probably the reason why um, they they don't, and that's also the reason why they need to, right? Because you have to move past those experiences to grow and develop and give other people a chance to grow and develop because maybe they reflect on how poorly they acted in the past, and now they have a chance to reflect on that and um, and hopefully have learned something, and when you know better, you do better, right? Absolutely. Yep, that's great. Thank you for that. Calvin, when you guys have events uh, celebrating the successes of your system resource groups, do you and how do you include your allies in those events? Well, our system itself um, hosts a system resource group um, and diversity council summit. And in that we recognize an executive sponsor of the year, a system resource group of the year, um, you know, champ, we have our diversity champion uh, that is offered in our diversity symposium. Uh, so we, there is a lot of work um, within our system that uh, talks about allies and, and, and obviously talks about unconscious bias and other uh, DNI type of topics. Um, so we do that. And then I think within each of the resource groups, we definitely um, try to recognize in our own ways uh, those partners that allies that have worked with us and helped us uh, accomplish our goals but we we don't have a separate you know a group or anything like that that is yeah no i got you no that makes sense thank you for that marissa what about you any experiences you can share where i'm at now at structure tone we have we just have the one year uh big um and it's approaching its one year anniversary so that's an opportunity for us to thank all the allies and all the employees but we don't have something separate and distinct um, for the allies, but that's a very good thought. So thank you. <laughs> I might have to steal that. <laughs> Go for it. So parting advice to group leaders that are out there that want to bring in more allies, what would you tell them to do? Marissa, I'm going to start with you. I think the first thing is to be very observant. Watch people. Don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do. 
And when you see that they don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk, those are the people that you want in your group. You don't want people that are going to be there because it makes them look good. Um, so I think that's, a, that's an important thing when you're looking for allies. And, you know, your network is what your network is. But look at expanding your own network sometimes, because sometimes we get comfortable in our little cubby hole. And, you know, we, we look to make relationships with people outside, not necessarily to bring them into the group, but just make relationships outside. Talk to people from departments you didn't talk to before, or and then you will find people that you may not have known. You know, you, I've worked in places where, you know, I didn't know everybody on my floor, and I was there for a couple of years. You know what I mean? So once you knew, learn and and grow and and develop relationships with new people um, within that pool, there will be some allies. Stop fishing in the same pond because you're going to keep getting the same fish, right? I like that. Yeah. So expand the network and then look for that authenticity. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. Calvin, what about you? Marissa is someone I'd like to uh, have lunch with. I know that she's, she's nailing these answers. Uh, it's great. I would totally agree with her. Um, you know, the, I think the only things I may add were probably um, when you reach out to someone that you, uh, like Marissa said, you're listening for and you're looking for and you're seeing maybe show some interest to be able to identify ways in which they can help. So give them a little bit of direction uh, into what they can do because otherwise, you know, they, they may not know what to do and where to go and you might lose them um, as an ally if you let them flounder that way. Um, and, and be vulnerable. Uh, I think that's, I think we've all kind of touched on that in some way, but being making yourself vulnerable so that you start to break down barriers and walls with folks that maybe you don't feel as connected with uh, so that they realize that, you know, you're, you're kind of giving them that olive branch and, and starting a conversation rather than building up a wall and, and, and closing it off. One um, activity that we have run, we've done this uh, in partnership uh, with our Cook Ross partners, uh, but we did a, a activity too that um, in several um, venues where we looked at unconscious bias and hiring practices and um, did a resume and interviewing activity. I don't know if you're familiar, if you all are familiar with this, but essentially where we had um, res uh, basically the same resume, but listed as different people. And, you know, mm -hmm. as we kind of reviewed who would we hire, who would we not hire, it, it was those kinds of eye-opening activities where um, folks that maybe didn't feel like this was something that they would have interest in or felt like they had a seat at the table and discussing some of the things or had any power to change anything, all of a sudden you could see a change in attitude or you know, the, those aha moments that they had um, really start to open up conversations. And as you know, those folks have these aha moments that the um, members that maybe in, in the room that were part of resource groups were listening and they were noticing and they were saying, okay, well, this person I might not have considered as an ally, but clearly this person now is interested and they want to learn more. And this is a great opportunity for me to connect with that person and find out, um, you know, how can they support the work that we're doing? How can we bring them into the fold? So, you know, just like Marissa said, eyes, eyes open, ears open. Yeah, I love that. So doing exercises that let them see each other at a deeper level, let them see each other in terms of what drives their decision making, makes them aware of where they're different, where they're similar, 
that becomes a basis for people understanding each other better and making a better connection. So that is the end of our program for today. I want to thank you, Calvin and Marissa, for joining me today. I think this discussion is another one that's going to go on the books as being one that's going to inspire some thinking. And I'm sure it gave some people some great ideas of things that they can do to build the allies in their groups. So thanks again, folks. Great. So here's what I got out of this discussion. Allies are an important part of your success in amplifying the power of the few for greater impact. So fight the tendency to remain insular, avoiding people who are not like you. Invite allies into your group explicitly in all your communications and tell them why they are important to you. Look for an authentic desire to support the cause of the group in all the people who answer your call for allies and give your group members and potential allies the opportunity to see beneath the surface so that they can discover the commonalities that bind them all together. Thank you for tuning in to ERG Power Talk. If you enjoyed and got value out of this program, please like us and leave a favorable review at your podcast provider's site. Also, invite others to listen to the show. I'm Joe Santana, and thanks again for tuning in. Oh, 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 oh,